Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy, but sometimes that makes you do crazy things. And sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with Once Upon a Time doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producer Chris Graves, joined by Anjanette Levy. Anjanette is a journalist with 15 years of experience as a crime and court reporter. She is currently a host and correspondent for the Law and Crime Network. You can find her on Twitter at Anjanette5 and Instagram at Anjanette. Episode 33, the case of the football player, the firecracker, and the long fall down. 20-year-old Josh Hilberling from Tulsa, Oklahoma was many things. A mama's boy, a good friend, a loving big brother, and a star football player for his high school team. The oldest of two boys, Josh's father loved to describe his firstborn son as having a smile that could light up a room. On Halloween in 2008, Josh went to a party and met 17-year-old Amber Fields. Josh was smitten from the moment he laid eyes on Amber. She was gorgeous and smart, outgoing with a rebellious streak that Josh's more introverted personality was attracted to. A romantic at heart, Josh swept Amber off her feet and they eventually began dating. Here's Chris. Josh was born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. According to his little brother, Zach, football was just everything in Josh's world. They're in Oklahoma, which that's big football country. And being a high school football star is pretty big deal in Oklahoma. So Josh's talent on the field made him really popular in school. He was 6'4", 220 pounds. Josh's father and his brother loved watching Josh play football. According to them, he was just phenomenal and lit up the field every Friday night with his talent. Josh had just turned 20 a few months before meeting Amber, who was 17, when they met. And just to note, in Oklahoma, age of consent is 16, so this was two consenting adults. So the connection they both felt was pretty immediate, and they began dating soon after. Josh had a really romantic streak, and he used it to sweep Amber off her feet, quite literally. Amber didn't know how to dance, and so one night, Josh drove them to a basketball court at a park in his neighborhood, and he had Amber stand on his feet, and he taught her how to slow dance under the stars. So in the spring of 2010, uh, Josh decided to follow his younger brother, Zach, into the Air Force, and Zach was in the middle of serving a tour in Afghanistan. 
In the summer of 2010, Josh was then shipped off to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas for basic training, which lasts about eight and a half weeks. Amber wrote to him while he was at boot camp. She drove eight hours to the Air Force Base to see him graduate from basic training. It was a big, big day. And after graduating, Josh got his orders. He was supposed to report to Eielson Air Force Base in the North Pole, North Pole, Alaska. This is pretty much in the middle of nowhere. This is when this is all unfolding. So Josh and Amber have a big, big decision to make. The Air Force is not going to let Amber live on base with Josh unless they were married. So that's the big question. Do they tie the knot? Both Josh and Amber's parents felt like they were not a good match for one another. Their personalities seemed to clash, and Amber's mother thought neither Amber nor Josh were ready for the adult responsibilities that come with marriage. Despite both families thinking the young couple, Josh, 22, and Amber, 18, were wrong for each other, they got married anyway in a quick courthouse ceremony in August of 2010. The wedding may have been a no-frills affair, but the reception was a fancy blowout at a local country club. Young, in love, and now legal in the eyes of the Air Force, Josh and Amber moved to Eielson Air Force Base in October of 2010. So Josh and Amber moved to this relatively small and remote military base. I mean, I'd never even heard of it when I was doing the research on this story, Anjanette. I haven't heard of it either. And I thought I had heard of all of them. It is super, super remote. I can't even imagine living in a place like that. Think about how isolating that would be. And and in Alaska, you know, isn't it dark for much, of, you know, half of the year, dark pretty much all of the time, which I would think could affect your, your mood, your circadian rhythm, your health. And I just can't even imagine. There's a lot of factors that I, that this particular location would bring into someone's relationship. So the base itself only has about 2,981 active duty service personnel. And to compare that to some of the other larger army bases, the largest one, Fort Bragg, that has about 500 and 50,000 active duty personnel on base. So it, this is like a town in the middle of nowhere, and they're moving to the North Pole, uh, a place that has nine months of significant snow with a yearly average of 58 inches. The national average is 12 inches. And it's considered one of the coldest places in Alaska. As you mentioned, there's a lot of darkness because the sun doesn't come out for a good part of the year. And it has an average low nighttime temperature of negative 17 degrees in January, which is pretty cold. So here you have two very young people who've rushed into marriage and are living with each other for the first time in this harsh, cold environment. So you know, Anjanette, Josh's dad thought that Josh was making a huge mistake when he started dating Amber and eventually married her. They were just so different, and now they've compounded the, all of that with this really remote area. What were Amber's parents' thoughts? Well, Amber's mother also thought that Josh and Amber were not a good match. She really thought they were way too young, they were naive, and that they looked at marriage not really in a realistic way. They looked at it more as a fairy tale and not really as this lifelong commitment that's going to take compromise and sacrifice and really work. Relationships, you have to keep them in a good spot and they require a lot of thoughtfulness and work to be successful. So once the harsh realities of both marriage and Alaska start to sink in, you know, Josh and Amber they start getting into arguments, they're fighting more and more, and both would call home crying to talk to their parents. So it's about November of 2010, 
and winter is approaching and the days are getting darker. The isolation is wearing on Josh and Amber, but they get some good news. Amber is pregnant. Josh and Amber find out they're having a baby boy and they decide to name him Levi. And although having a baby on the way should have been really happy, Josh and Amber were finding that being away from their support systems, their friends and family in Alaska was really sending them down this this really dark path that they just weren't prepared for. They weren't mature enough to handle it. Yeah, you have Alaska, new marriage, an Air Force base. That's a lot for these young people. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. So we just learned that in January, it's negative 17 degrees and probably dark. And this is when all of this is playing out for Josh and Amber. I mean, can you imagine being in that situation? No, absolutely not. It sounds like hell to me. Winter affects me. I think it affects a lot of people. But wait, this is like a winter on steroids. This is a whole nother level. Not only that, she, you know, Amber's pregnant, which means she's got all of these. Mood swings, yeah, whatever, you know, hormones, raging. Yeah. And none of it's her fault. It's all her body making another human being. But that's compounded by everything else, right? Yeah. By January of 2011, Josh and Amber's relationship was on the rocks and teetering on disaster. Amber was still in her first trimester, pregnant with little Levi. She and Josh would argue constantly, neither ever knowing what would set the other off. On January 2nd, Josh and Amber had been fighting because Amber wanted takeout, and Josh did not. Amber started making dinner. Josh, quote, got in her face, knocked a dinner plate and drink out of her hand, and then grabbed her breasts. Josh squeezed so hard he broke blood vessels and bruised Amber. It seemed like Josh had been trying to pop her implants. Amber filed a police report against Josh for domestic abuse. The report stated that officers took photos of the wounds and also took Josh into custody to cool down for the night, but no charges were filed. Just a few months later, the young couple got hit with another blow. In May of 2011, Josh is discharged from the Air Force due to misconduct for drug use. Josh had allegedly been using Oxycontin. 
The troubled couple moved back home to Tulsa, Oklahoma and into a 25th floor apartment of the University Club Tower building. So the University Club Tower is pretty well known. It was built in 1966 and was the first building in the United States to be designed by using a computer. It has an interesting design in that the first eight floors are the parking structure for the residents. And then it shoots up into the sky with the rest of the building. And Josh and Amber moved into the University Club Tower the first week of May in 2011. And pretty quick, it becomes apparent that Alaska and the isolation from friends and family may not have been at the root of their problems. So Josh and Amber, pretty quickly, Josh and Amber fell back into their routine of arguing. Their fighting escalates. And on May 10th, of 2011, Josh is now the one filing a protective order against Amber in Tulsa County District Court. Josh alleges that Amber grabbed a floor lamp and threw the lamp at him, hitting him in the head and wounding him. Josh reported that the paramedics had to take him to the hospital where he had received 10 staples and 11 stitches. That's a pretty big gash. However, nothing came of Josh's protective order filing because neither Josh nor Amber showed up at the court hearing on May 24th and the case was dismissed, which we often see in cases of domestic abuse. You and I have covered a lot of stories. Somebody reports and then they don't show up to finish the report. That's kind of common, unfortunately. You know, maybe there's a cooling off period and they don't follow through. Yeah. I mean, what other things do you think could have been going through Josh's mind for not showing up? Look at our culture and, you know, this whole idea that men are the big strong ones, right? And for a lot of men coming to terms with the fact that they may be a victim, that is very embarrassing. And, you know, it's possible that Josh felt a lot of shame over the abuse he was suffering at the hands of Amber. And that could have possibly played a part in him not showing up for that hearing. And the CDC actually reports that one in seven men will experience physical violence by their intimate partner at some point in their lifetimes. And at least 3 million acts of domestic violence will occur annually to men. So men can definitely be victims of domestic violence. This isn't uncommon. You know, I think it's almost like a farce. Men are human too. And it doesn't matter your gender. Anyone can be an abuser. And and I think it's hard for some people to wrap their heads around that, even though I think we're learning more about that if you if you really look at these issues and pay attention. So men represent as much as 15% of all cases of domestic partner violence. And male victims are also less likely to seek out medical care so that the incidences of domestic violence on men may very well be underreported because of that whole societal norms about viewing men as the big burly types. And it's probably just, you know, embarrassing for them. So the National Domestic Violence Hotline has reported that when they hear from male contacts that reach out daily that these men feel emasculated and like less of a man when undergoing situations of abuse at the hands of spouses or, or partners. And some have even reported feeling so ashamed that they don't want to acknowledge the abuse because they fear that if they do, it will make the situation real. So at this point, neither Josh nor Amber seem like angels when it comes to domestic violence. But I think we need to remember that both of them are really pretty much kids. She's 19 and he's still 22. So how does a young man who's just 22 years old process being domestically abused, especially one who grew up in the hyper-masculine world of football? And did Josh even know there was help out there for him? 
It just feels like both of their parents' worst nightmare was coming true. Just eight days after Josh's 23rd birthday at 4 p.m. on June 7, 2011, a Tulsa 911 operator received a strange call. Someone had witnessed a man fall out of the 25th story window at the University Club Tower building and watched him plummet 17 floors to his death. The body landed on the roof of the building's parking structure. Take a listen to the 911 call. Police department. With the Denver Park Department, and I just saw someone jump out of their window out of the probably the 17th, 19th floor of the University Club Tower apartment at 17th in Denver. 17th, the name of that place is University University Club. This is them, so we're on the way. All right, I was sitting out smoking a cigarette here, looking right at the stare. I'm looking right at it. It'll might be, and he the glass broke and he fell down. Wow, 17th floor. When first responders arrived to the roof of the parking deck, they found Amber distraught and crying next to Josh's broken and dead body. Amber was led away by police officers who also arrived, and Amber was begging everyone to, quote, fix Josh. The detectives and police officers who arrived on the scene at first believed they were dealing with an accidental and tragic death. So that's pretty shocking. It's awful. I can't even imagine seeing something like that. So when law enforcement gets to the University Club Tower, they think they're just dealing with a freak accident, that somebody might have fallen out a window. They ask Amber to come down to the station to file a report. Amber's grandmother comes with her. At around 6 p.m., Amber and her grandmother are sitting alone in a police interrogation room. Amber starts talking to her grandmother and the officer who brought them in to file the report watches them on a closed circuit monitor and he decided to record the conversation. The officer didn't tell the grandmother or Amber that they were being recorded. So Amber is distraught and she starts telling her grandmother what happened and her grandmother instinctively tries to get Amber to stop talking to no avail. We can listen to a little excerpt of what the officer recorded. Josh is dead, and I'm here. I didn't just lose my husband. Jeannie and Patrick lost their son. Zach lost his brother. His grandma, his poor grandma's gonna have a heart attack when she finds out that her little Josh is gone. All I kept seeing, like, I just held his broken body. <laughs> I wonder if his parents know yet. I'm sure they did. But... <laughs> they were right. <laughs> they kept saying, if we stay together, I'm going to kill him. How did this happen? How did this happen? Why did he have to fall out the window? <laughs> fall out a window? Oh, I, I'm a horrible person who could do that. Who could do that? <laughs> Push my husband and make him fall out the window. Did you intentionally? No, okay. of course not. Okay, that's what they're going to take it as, baby. 
I just keep watching him fall over and over and over again in my head. Watching him flail and think that he, you know, my last thought was please catch yourself. And I would just want to know what was going through his head if he knew he was going to die. If he said a prayer or if he cursed my name or if he just thought that he could catch himself too. And then just watching him hit the ground. That's crazy. When that officer who was recording heard that Amber say she actually pushed Josh before he stumbled and fell through the window, the case now goes from accidental to a possible homicide investigation. Amber is arrested on a second-degree murder charge and taken into custody. Just hearing that is so chilling. I mean, she's clearly broken up about it. It's not like some of the other interrogation things where we've heard, like people singing or doing really weird things. She does sound broken. But she did say she pushed him, so we don't know the situation between them when that happened. Hours after Josh Hilberling fell to his death on June 7, 2011, investigators believe they have what amounts to a confession to, at the very least, second-degree murder from his wife. When detectives searched Josh and Amber's apartment, they found a clean and tidy place with no signs of a possible physical fight. Nothing seemed out of place. Officers also found a bag packed that belonged to Josh. Amber's story was that she and Josh had been fighting that day because Josh was planning on going to a music festival with his friends and he was going to sell pills at the festival. She explained that this is why the police found Josh's packed bag. Amber also told investigators that Josh grabbed her by the shoulders so hard his grip left marks and a scratch and that she'd pushed him in self-defense. She claimed that Josh had stumbled back into the window and the window had broken. Before Amber knew it, Josh had fallen to his death. But when detectives dug deeper into Josh and Amber's relationship, they found the protection order Josh had filed against Amber just weeks before his death. Detectives felt the protection order pointed to Amber being the abuser in the relationship. When investigators spoke with Josh's family, his father told them that Josh had called him on June 7th, just hours before his death, to tell him he couldn't take the fighting and abuse anymore. Josh's father said Josh had packed a bag and wanted his father to come pick him up. His father was at work and told him he couldn't come until later. So according to Josh's dad, earlier in the day on June 7th, Josh called him to tell him that he couldn't take the abuse and the fighting anymore, and he asked to be picked up. Josh's dad told Josh he couldn't come right away because he was at work and that he'd come after he was done. And that would be the last time that Josh's father spoke to his son. And that call really haunts his father to this day. And he regrets that he didn't come get Josh when he first called. But according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the most dangerous time for a victim of abuse is when they finally decide to leave that abuser. And of course, Amber claimed that Josh hadn't actually packed the bag to leave her but he had packed the bag because he was planning to go to a music festival with some friends where he planned to sell some pills, which is part of what Josh had been doing, apparently, and part of what the strife was in their relationship now that he was out of the Air Force and didn't have a job. And that this was the whole reason that they were fighting. To begin with, they were fighting because he was leaving to go hang out with his friends. 
Let's stop here for another break. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The toxicology report from Josh's autopsy came back clean. There were no drugs, no alcohol in his system, which seems to poke a hole in Amber's story. Investigators also spoke to one of Josh and Amber's next door neighbors, and he tells them that he heard Amber yell, no, 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 and then charging footsteps before hearing the sound of glass breaking and then hearing Amber scream, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. On June 8, 2011, investigators bump up the charges against Amber to first-degree murder. Amber Hilberling was released that afternoon on a $250,000 bond. That's according to jail records. And while Amber is awaiting trial, she gives birth to Levi on August 6, 2011. Amber is offered two different plea deals that would have dropped her sentence down to five years with 15 years of parole. But Amber declines both of those offers. She maintains her innocence and that what happened to Josh was simply a horrible accident. I know she also maintained that the push was an accident, that they were in a fight and she didn't realize that those windows could break. You would think on a 25th floor of a building, you would have some pretty maybe shatterproof glass or something like that. But in this case, obviously they didn't. And it's just absolutely horrible. This was, I hate to say it, a story where the parents might have been right and maybe they should have waited a little bit. Definitely. I think anybody that young really needs to think twice before committing to a relationship long term. To me, when I hear about people having children so young, I mean, think about how your brain matures, how you mentally and emotionally mature or not when you're that young. And that's why when I see people getting into these things at such, such a young age and, and mistaking probably infatuation for actual love, I really want to just walk up to them and think, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're thinking? I'm not saying it can't work out for the best, but I really think you got to think twice sometimes. We may never really know absolutely without a doubt what was going on at you never know what goes on behind closed doors. I truly believe that with relationships. Even if you think you know a couple really well, you don't know what goes on. Amber's trial began on March 11th, 2013, and she took the stand on March 16th. 
Amber testified that she pushed Josh in self-defense and that she never intended to kill her husband. Amber further explained that she could not have anticipated the window breaking. On March 18, 2011, just seven days after her trial began, Amber is convicted of second-degree murder. This does not require under law that the prosecution prove intent to kill. The jury only deliberated for three hours and the judge upheld the jury's recommendation of a 25-year prison term. In March of 2015, the Joshua Hilberling estate sued the University Club Tower about the thin windows. The suit was eventually dismissed because it was filed after the time window to file such cases had closed. Sadly, after a failed appeal, Amber was found dead by hanging in her cell on October 24, 2016. An autopsy found cut scars on Amber's wrists and arms, as well as methamphetamine in her bloodstream at the time of her death. Before her suicide, Amber told a corrections officer, quote, She said, I have to live with that. I killed my husband, and I'm going to have to tell my son someday that I killed his father. Thankfully, Josh and Amber's son is thriving with Amber's side of the family. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. And listen to season three of our hit series, The Piketon Massacre. New episodes air every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.